Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Today um, to Australian Basketball Coach, I'm here in Ipswich with head coach of the 2020 NBL1 program for the Ipswich Force, Chris Richards. G'day Chris, how are you doing mate? Thank you very much for having me here today. Great <laughs> pleasure to uh, be able to sit down anytime and talk to you Anthony. Thanks mate. It's, it's good to catch up again. Um, Chris and I were involved in a state team a few years back and actually it's uh, probably one of the questions we'll get to is like uh, looking back at the success of some of those players that we had <laughs> in that team. They were quite a good little, little team. Chris has been uh, head coach here at Ipswich for three years. Yeah, this will be my third year now. Yeah, and also uh, heavily involved with the under-21 program. Also involved with the Gold Coast Women's Program a little while back. And director of coaching at John Paul College here in Brisbane for a couple of years as well. Yep, been around the traps a bit. (laughs) So I guess, uh, what is your background in basketball? And uh, more specifically, coaching, how did you get involved in that? I suppose it all started like I always enjoyed watching basketball and participating when I was a junior but I grew up in a regional centre of Lismore in the far north coast of New South Wales so in that particular town it's a it's a situation that basketball was having an ebb and flow at the time so we didn't have any rep teams there wasn't really a progressive sort of situation outside of the local domestic competition so once I got to like under 18s and there was an opportunity to basically step into some sort of coaching stuff to create part of a pathway I took that opportunity on board and that's really where the journey started I was never a gifted player I was never a player that had much skill but I love the sport and I like the the technical and tactical side of of what we do in basketball so that appeals to me so the strategy the development of the the game plan and stuff like that is stuff that I really enjoy so that basically stuck with me and essentially from doing that coaching to then getting a little bit of experience both you know with variety of different coaches around the league and different stuff like that it was a situation that I just progressed into coaching more formally, doing rep, various other parts, and then they just gradually worked into that whole junior competition sort of stuff. So like with state teams or whether it be uh, just running around doing the BQJBC stuff around the league that we have here in the southeast corner, that was really my bread and butter on where I sort of got exposure and what I did day to day. Yeah. I was going to mention you were a teacher by trade. Do you think that, uh, you know, having that sort of teaching background has... You know, is there, is there a lot of that that translates over to your coach, your, like your style of coaching? How does that sort of work for you? When I originally started, I was in sports management. So that that pulled me towards the sport as well because obviously I had a natural affiliation with basketball. But um, that then got me into doing work, you know, through Southern Districts and then working at Basketball Queensland. So that kind of pulled me into the sport. The teaching stuff came a little bit later and it was an interest in because, I suppose, because of that situation, I was able to step out of doing the sports management stuff after a period of time and step into teaching 
and it just gives you a whole bunch of different skills. Mm. Like at the end of the day, the, the difference between teaching and coaching, there is a significant difference, but there's a lot of overlay there that you can actually pick up on. So the specific skills of behavior management and different stuff like that when you're working with players and being able to move them around the actual activities that you want to do, I mean, that type of stuff crosses over. But also too as well, the planning, the understanding the athlete was like a really important part because mm. when you're a teacher, that's something that you do quite a lot of is that you're developing those one-to-one relationships with the students in front of you so you can help them reach their potential and so for a pretty sizable part of what I do in teaching there's a lot of transfer of those skills into my coaching and vice versa yeah Yeah. you know and the teaching side of it um, has been really really enjoyable Um, picking up new skills all the time as you meet new kids you learn different things and you have to stay abreast of what the changes are culturally and socially that you that you get to mix with so it also keeps you in step for when you're dealing with your players because as a school teacher I see those kids a lot more than what I see my players so it's a situation where you just pick up on you know different phrasing different stuff like that and that helps you develop those relationships with the kids yeah one of the things I think uh, I, I learned from talking to Warwick Cairn who was also a teacher uh, and produced that Basketball Queensland style of play document was about, it's almost like a curriculum, I guess, uh, yep. or, or a framework for um, how things are going to get done. What sort of influences have determined or impacted you in terms of how you coach and um, where do they come from and who, who uh, pushed you into the direction that you, you're taking today and, and uh, yeah, where, do, where do you draw that sort of inspiration from? probably hundreds of people like it takes a community to raise a child so like I think it's pretty much the same when you're in basketball and I think that one of the the big things that I always found success in was wanting to be an assistant with other coaches and seeing how they operate on the floor so you know when it was right back in Lismore there was a a coach called Dean Carson that had worked in the Northern Territory came down and he had done some work around the place and he was coaching the women's team at the time so I was his assistant but then you know I've moved into various other positions you know all over the southeast corner where you're working with other coaches like Ron Hilbron who was a head coach in the state team program for a long period of time or whether it be a guy like Peter Foster that had you know been the principal at the school at John Paul College and was you know instrumental in me shifting across from basketball Queensland into the teaching sector you know those kind of guys have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience you know they're custodians of the sport and so they kind of create pathways for people that they see around them and that really helps in creating that network but you know look, there's heaps of people you know there's different ones like Graham Burns with his type of stuff that we were doing in regards to sports management and stuff and that gave me a completely different skill set at Basketball Queensland that's helped me in a lot of different ways throughout a lot of different careers that I've sort of like chosen to follow and those pathways that you go down but you know the, the list is endless like you know everyone from you know Ollie Dudfield you know just different guys that you roll around with that end up having a situation where you just take little bits you know it's not like you go to a coaching session or a workshop and you go well that's revolutionary I'm going to take everything in that that's not what you do a lot of the times it's you know the one to three percent sort of stuff that you pick out of it 
and you go, that fits with my philosophy, that fits with where I'm at, and that works for me. So I'm going to take that back, refine that, you know, adapt it, you know, bolt some extra pieces onto it, and that's how you grow as a coach. Like, I mean, you you just take the best that you see around you, what works for other people, but also stuff that has meaning for you, because sometimes yeah. it doesn't work for other coaches, but you see potential in it. Yeah. And you look at those types of situations and you go, well... I can use this or I think this has legs and you experiment with it. Mm. I know for me as a coach, like coaching in, you know, the NBL one North, it's a situation where there's plenty of things that I do or, or that I look at and I go, well, th- will this work? Will this won't work? Well, a lot of the times during the off season is where I experiment with that stuff. So if that's the reason why I coach junior basketball during the off season is so you can use a lot of that different types of ideas that you have and the experimentation that you have in that period of time to try and refine what you do. Mm. You know, because you don't want to be going in cold turkey in that level of competition. You want to have a situation where you know, well, this is how I teach this and this is how this works. This is how I can layer it or scaffold it together. You know, and that's how you get better at doing those things as well. Yeah, yeah. I think they're, they're good points, actually. Like, one of the things I think that might also sort of impact say in, in your choice the, the decision on how you do things is um, win-loss record in a season and, and yeah, also the, the QBL uh, the former QBL is, is the type of league where there is a bit of return in terms of the players that you're playing against and that sort of thing so probably lots to take away each week in terms of lessons learned I think that that's probably been also a key factor since I've taken over in the role we wanted to at our association have more of a local feel to what we were doing and that's that's no discredit to any past coach or anyone that's been coaching here it's just that we've made a shift to uh basically have that core group of locals because when you look at the people in the stands that are supporting it's usually people that have that connection to those individuals more so than being you have a superstar import that brings in you know 200 people that just doesn't happen Mm. you know and a lot of the times it's those family members players that used to play with these guys it's friends it's kids that they coach because as they get older they they start to step into that mentoring role within your association if they're locals you know they don't just up and leave and and move out of your district or your area it's a situation that if you have local talent that's embedded in what you do they do become involved and and, and everyone contributes in different ways for some guys it is coaching others it's refereeing sometimes it's just being a volunteer at different types of competitions and events that you run so it's a situation that a lot of those individuals that are embedded here they they form the basis of what we're trying to do in the the senior men's team and it's a situation where those individuals like you know like guys like jason ralph you know they're working in the community and they're working to promote the sport Mm. you know and there's plenty of examples like within our team you know when you look at guys like mitchell plain or you look at guys like kane bishop you know they've been rep coaches for us and they're not old guys they're like 22 23 so they're contributing back to what we do yeah that's the key of uh, giving back isn't it yeah is uh, seeing those guys uh, and maybe even coach a little bit about what you're coaching them in their rep teams that's even better <laughs> you'd like to think so I'll just learn from my mistakes maybe that's, <laughs> that's right. maybe that's the best way of being able to phrase it but I know with those guys also when they're out there in our association they're the greatest advertisement for what we do yeah. as an organisation because 
you know, when you're like eight, nine, ten, eleven, and you're looking up at a person that you can then come and see on the weekend, different things like that, it's inspirational. Like mm. you just you're able to see that, and then it helps those individuals turn into better players because they want to play yeah because they see that you know they see the the type of pathway that's ahead of them and they see the fun that those guys are having when they're coaching them and different things like that so it sells the sport yeah yeah Yeah. for sure a little fun fact for the listeners your your website functional basketball coaching is out there on the internet and i just wanted to sort of ask you how did you how did that project come about where is it at now and is it What's the future for it, I guess? Like, I know I've uh, had a look on some of the articles you've written on there from time to time. It's a pretty good information source. A lot of it really started from the fact that I wanted to cement my own knowledge. So in building that website, like there's a number of different facets that go into those types of things, but um, essentially a lot of the article writing that we do is based around the fact that... um, you need to think about small details sometimes and when you think about the small stuff you understand how it progresses into the bigger elements so with the the technical side of things when you're building skills when you're linking those together being able to understand you know the fundamental things that are involved is really important and then that helps you in your own court as a coach when you're doing individuals or small group sessions being able to articulate that to players is really powerful Mm. so I know that for me personally when I was doing a lot of the article writing and I'm still doing that but um you know you're going through and you're having to think about things in greater detail because you're putting it down in long form you're actually writing it out so it's a situation where you start to think about well well, if I was going to do this particular sort of skill what is the sequence that goes into that you know and how do I progressively build that to being something that someone can use and someone can get a benefit from and then you take that away and you then you know in this form I created the article but in the same way also that's how I teach when I'm speaking to athletes on the floor is that you know this is what you need to do in this particular skill development I mean what's the future for it it's still a vehicle for me to basically dump knowledge and for me to solidify my own thought process around different ideas I'm constantly writing stuff putting ebooks on there and different things like that so it's just a it really it's a hobby for yeah. me but it's a way of me sort of improving my own knowledge one of the great lessons or bits of advice that I got from a coach and I can't remember his name right now but when I was coaching at the Pacific Coast Slam which is a tournament that's held in Port Macquarie where a number of state entities come for old age competitions he was talking to me and this is when I was a very young coach talking about how much time you have to invest in yourself yeah. and talking about you know you know two three four hours a week you need to be working on just purely you and what your knowledge base is and this is kind of one of those ways that i do that mm, i think that's great like it's actually one of the things that patrick hunt spoke about at the basketball australia coaches conference this year is just uh, making that time to you know invest in yourself in a coach and, and solidify your, your knowledge but you know just keep uh, keep improving as players do like coaches need to do that too and that's it like you've got to find ways to become better like at the end of the day there is so much basketball out there you can go on the internet and never run out of things to read that are new or adaptive in regards to what you've been thinking about with regards to any type of tactical element so it's a situation where 
You need to be able to just use that knowledge though and have it that it becomes something that you can call upon and like I said, writing the articles out is a way of me being able to do that. Mm. You've got a young family as well. I guess one of the questions uh, that that certainly I think makes it a little challenging sometimes for, for coaches is like how do you balance the, the coaching requirement, the, the requirements of having a full-time job because... Uh, None of us in the uh, state league system are professionals <laughs> in that regard. Uh, and then, yeah, about putting your family, um, you know, giving the time and commitment and love to the family. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things that's been said to me before is, you know, like uh, everyone in my family knows if we've had a win or a loss <laughs> after a weekend. Yeah, I guess, how do you balance all that? Firstly, my, like I met my wife when I was really, really young. So we've been together for a lot of years and so basketball's always been a part of our life. So from that point of view, it's a situation where it's been a constant element in everything that we've done together. So you kind of develop you know, your own little rhythm within a relationship that's around that. But my wife, Lee, is, is just fantastically supportive of what I do. Um, you know, whether it be picking the kids up from training because they've had to come with me to do something or whether it be looking after them when you're travelling away and different stuff like that. She's really fantastic and really in this type of sport because it's 12 months out of the year and you have to invest so much time into it and you have to invest in the players that, that you have under your care it's a situation where um, you do need that extra support like you wouldn't be able to do it just individually by yourself if that support wasn't there I think for me you always struggle with the balance. It's never ever perfect and it's never ever done. So you're always working towards something. It's an unfinished project any single time. There's no perfect. But I made a, a choice probably three and a half, four years ago that I was going to step back into the teaching sort of side of things where I'd taken a break for about four or five years and worked across a number of different roles in sports management and education, but not specifically school teaching. And after that period of time where I was working away from home and doing various other things, the balance wasn't there and it needed to be corrected. And it was just a situation that I decided that I was going to reboot what I was doing. So I moved back into teaching. And like right now, I drive like two and a half blocks to drop my kids off to school. And then I drive three blocks to get to work. I live in the town that I work in and the association's based here. So I'm not driving from, you know, like when you were mentioning that I was coaching out of the Gold Coast I was living at Carindale and then I was living at Ipswich at the start of that and it was a situation where I was just doing all kinds of madness driving around the place but now thankfully over the last four years it's probably been the best that it's ever been mm. like there's still times that I miss out on things like birthdays or different stuff like that and that's unfortunately the, the cost of doing what we do over an extended period of time, uh, especially when it comes to things like commitment. So if a training session's on, I'm always there. Like I think I could count on one hand over the 20 years that I've been involved in the sport, how many training sessions I've actually legitimately missed for one reason or another. So that type of commitment as the, the coach of the group, I believe you've, you've got to demonstrate that. Mm. So that's something that you, you want to see in your players. So you have to be prepared to make those sacrifices that you ask them to make from time to time. So, you know, in getting the balance right is a situation where you're just constantly working at it. But right now, it's just getting it like 
honestly, it's about just getting your life in order. Like, it's, the, I've, you've got all these things that people say, you know, like there is no balance, different stuff like that. And that's true. But it's an ebb and flow. It's a give and take. Like, you have to be prepared to be able to sacrifice some things to gain other things and you have to be able to be prepared to be prioritizing certain things you know through being a teacher we basically are finishing right now you know it's the end of the school calendar so now I spend five to six weeks with my family so there'll be different days where I have basketball activities in that but I tend to layer things so I do more of those things at one specific time so that gives me bigger windows of opportunity to work with the family you know in regards to doing the activities like going to the beach or you know going around to art galleries or going to the movies or whatever you do with your kids it's a situation where um You've just got to pick those battles and you've got to know where things are. So good planning helps with that as well. Like yeah. we have a family calendar and different stuff like that that we utilise a lot and that allows us to map things out. It sounds like it's really formal and it is because once you once you put steps in place, it becomes easier to manage those challenges that you have and communication is always the key in that. Like my wife is really great at being able to tell me when I forget to tell her <laughs> different things. <laughs> So that is really helpful in, you know, making me understand that, you know, sometimes I do need to step back and I need to be taking more time spending with the family. But also, too, I live in a household where everyone is individually sport-focused. My kids are swimmers. My wife is a runner. So they don't get the team stuff at all. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, you mentioned before you were doing some coaching with the under 21s Ipswich yep. um, Force men's team and I guess the reason for that is to spend some time with those players teaching them about the culture that you want to see and, and also the playing style like you say trying out some things some ideas and that sort of thing how important is it I think for your program as a whole to, to have that Um, pathway and also that relationship with those players from an early stage it is single-handedly one of the most important parts of this whole philosophy that I alluded to previously where we're focusing on our association creating that pipeline so in our senior men's team at the moment the vast majority of players have played at least one to two junior competition seasons for Ipswich but in many cases you know like some of those junior guys like Cope Robinson different ones like that they've been here right from the get-go so it's a situation where from under 12s all the way through rep they've been here and one of the things that I wanted to do when I came into the role is to show that there is a pipeline and part of that has been reinvesting back into the junior sports side of things so it's a situation where from you know that top age under 18s through to your under 21s which led into like SBL that led into like QBL or MBL1 North now it's a situation where they all should be seamless in where they're working towards and I think that as a coach you can't just be involved with the senior stuff you have to be prepared to be seen and and give back to those junior ranks because that shows your commitment to the program you know again if you're a person that comes in does one specific thing and then leaves there's a lot of knowledge that you've got especially when we're talking about these people that are doing our senior teams and it's not just not just the highest level it's everyone that's at those types of levels 
um, it's a situation where you do have an obligation to try and give some of that knowledge back. And that's what we want. Like as associations, like when you're putting people into those senior coaching positions, you want to see them give some sort of return to the association. So does that mean that they're here every Saturday doing stuff? No, it doesn't. But it means that there is some sort of dissemination of information across the association. And, you know, I try to do that through these players because that helps me, obviously, in that next step when they're stepping into those other senior teams in understanding what the culture is that we're trying to create and understanding the types of concepts that you want in a team, whether that's both, you know, technical, tactical sort of stuff. Um, But with some of the players too, it's also about you developing that relationship. So when you're, well, for me as a coach, when I'm working with them, I also do individuals or small groups with them. We'll try to do that as much as possible. It's a situation where you're working with them one-on-one or in small groups and you're showing that you're investing time in them. Mm. Because that's how you develop those that rapport with your players. It's it's not about being the brightest spark in the world. It's about you actually contributing time. You're investing time because that's probably the most valuable thing that we have to give as coaches and as people yeah. is our time into individuals. And so when they see that and they see that you have that genuine investment, that also allows you to push them that little bit harder to find their potential to, to be able to raise it as they go along. And I feel that that's also makes it a much better environment and a much more enjoyable situation for everyone because everyone knows that you have their best intentions at heart, mm. you know? And, and as the NBL one coach, I suppose, when you're trying to coordinate a style of play or some philosophy and culture across, um, say, that senior team, the SBL team, the under-21 team, maybe even the under-18 team, how, how do you see that happening in terms of, is everyone running the same thing or... Um, you know, what's the, the key messages to each of those teams uh, that funnel into the senior program? I, I always find this a really tricky sort of question because I think that individual coaches have, have inherent strengths and weaknesses. And I think players need to be able to play for different coaches and different styles of play. Like, I think being a good player is not being great at... Uh, one particular offense, you know, like the inside triangle or the sideline triangle, something like that. Like it's it's not one particular offense that makes you a good player. It's about being holistic in how you approach the game and being able to do a variety of different things, you know. So when you catch the ball, it's a situation where you know what happens after that and you're engaging, the def- you know, the guy that's in front of you, the defender or whatever it is. I tend to be less focused on developing a style of play to give to others and be more focused on my style of play that I'm teaching through having those athletes directly in front of me. So when I'm working with them, there is, yes, a very, very specific sort of, you know, these are our principles of play, this is how they connect together, this is how they're layered. But when I have other coaches, I want them to be able to feel free to give the knowledge that they have to those athletes. Now. You know, you inherently hear comments about, well, we prefer if it was done this way, we prefer if it's done a different type of way. But at the end of the day, the systems that you run, if the athletes are developed well as individuals within it, they can play within any Mm. any system. You know, they have the fundamental tools to be able to succeed, doesn't matter what type of environment they're in. And it's a situation where you do need to be challenged in different ways. And I'm, I'm not the... 
ultimate answer to any type of question in regards to basketball. So they need to get challenge from different people so they can develop, you know, and they can grow. And it's a situation that when you're looking at individuals, sometimes the things that you can't give them, they get from someone else as well. Yeah. And they need, and, they, and I feel that coaches need to be free to be able to explore a lot of that. Yeah. And it's the same as teaching. Yeah. You know, like there'll be, you know, any number of kids in your class. Sometimes the, there's one kid that you just can't succeed with and they have to go to someone else to get what they need that's not a reflection on me that's just the that's the nature of the game right Mm. that's the dynamic that you have to play with is that you you have a situation where sometimes people for whatever reason get a different type of response a connection with someone else and um style of play sometimes i think can inhibit that yeah yeah you know and sometimes um coaches especially senior coaches are less receptive to those types of things than what junior coaches we as an association like at ipswich here it's a situation where we're going to move into more of that phase we're we're looking at in 2020 doing a lot more coach education a lot more coach development within the association but at the same time it needs to be measured yeah you know what i mean because my style of coaching is not everyone's style of coaching. Yeah. The way in which I think is not the same as what everyone else does. So it needs to be a situation that people do have a little bit of liberty to make their own mistakes. Because yeah. that's how you grow as a coach as well. Like if I had coaches that were really, really stringent, like coaching coordinators that were really, really stringent with me, when I was developing my knowledge early on, I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. Mm. And I feel that over the last you know five years or something like that, I've actually just accelerated the the rate at which I'm picking up knowledge around the sport, both on the court, off the court, and everything in between. And that just continues because you're involved in so many things and you have a passion for the sport. Mm. Yeah, and and you see that uh, passion for the sport coming through and those kids that you're coaching, like, are there, you know, every now and then you get a kid who just lives and breathes basketball and, and obviously in that sort of higher... Uh, age groups I'm probably talking under 18 under 20 um, and having having had a daughter in that age group as well like uh, the passion's probably not there sometimes so (laughs) I, I think everyone's kind of different when with the older age groups it's it becomes as much about what you do on the court as off the court. I know if like under 21s all the way through to the the other senior men's teams it's a situation of mentoring the athletes through the various different challenges they have. Now, you only get to do that, though, once you develop a good relationship with the individual and you develop some sort of trust there. So that way you can communicate, you know, you, you work through the, the different problems that they see. And, and, you know, basketball is a small part of that sometimes. Mm. And sometimes life is the, the more significant part of that. But... Um, you definitely see the passion that lies in it when they experience the success, not necessarily of win-loss, but the success for themselves. Mm. When they have ownership over what they're doing and they can see that there's improvement there, you definitely see that passion in the older athletes and you also see it in wanting to compete and wanting to be present at training, wanting to be invested in it and wanting to get the best out of what they do so you can feel it. It's like it's just in the air when it's there 
Um, with younger athletes, I mean, it's still fun-driven. Mm. A lot of the times, yeah. a, a lot of it is still driven by the fact that they've got to get enjoyment going along to training sessions. And a lot of that is coach-driven in regards to the positive feedback that you give and the affirmation that you give to those athletes as they're going along. And you definitely see that, like ones that are just absolutely obsessed with the sport. They've got a basketball in their hands all the time. They're walking around school, dribbling it in between classes and stuff like that. You definitely feel it. You can see it. Um, I suppose as it gets older, though, it kind of adapts. Yeah. You know, because a lot of the athletes that we see, uh, like in our senior teams, are workers first. Yeah. And then their basketball players second. They still have a passion for the sport, and that's probably the thing that they live for is playing basketball for that small percentage each week. But at the end of the day, they're electricians or they work at Coles or something like that. Like it's a situation where basketball is the bolt-on part of what they do, so there's a lot of other factors that come into place and being able to work with them around those things and help them, you know, by giving them advice on what mistakes I made... You know, is is really a good way of seeing that passion sort of grow into something else. And for some athletes, it's not about playing. Sometimes it's about transitioning into being just a good person. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, like that's that's more than enough. Yeah, yeah. For what you invest into each individual, and then other times they become coaches or they become involved in clubs and different stuff like that. Like there's a whole myriad of different ways that it can go, but. Um, when you see the positives that you you get from that investment, it's really really important. And sometimes that passion isn't just basketball specific, though. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, moving into the current 2020, your uh, head coach uh, for the men's team. What are some of the foundations you've put into place? Uh, you know, over the last couple of years for for that playing group. You've had to, I guess be consistent with in terms of the message um, for that team and this probably comes down to your own philosophy a little bit um, like what's what does success look like for you in a, in a QBL season or an NBL1 season it's definitely tracking it I mean you've, you've got to be able to plan and map things out and set goals for yourself and for the team and know what those objectives are like that's probably the, the most the biggest underlying factor is is that you've got to know where you're starting and where you'd like to finish and what you want to do as you go along I think last season was a disappointing year for us because we had so many injuries across you know the the scope of what was this the regular season we probably had in our starting five starting six guys we probably had anywhere up to like 30 games where we had players missing you know, sometimes those with, with two or three guys that were missing mm. um, that really challenged us over the course of the season, whether that be through injury or it be through just general availability, those things happen. And I know that um, in setting our goals where we wanted to be able to finish within the finals, you know, the top eight, that was a situation where we just couldn't get there in the end. But it's about rebooting and you learn from those things it's about refocusing on what is important to the group 
And the communication is really, really important in those situations because they are challenging. No one wants to lose mm. and no one wants to feel like they're turning up and they don't have a purpose. So the communication is how you get around those issues. You know, there's always a focus. There's always things individually that you can do to improve what the outcome is for the team. There's always things that we can learn from situations, whether it be whether it is a loss or it is a win. So I think it, my philosophy has always been about just having clear communication because again you're working with adults and that tends to be one of the principles that I that I sort of focus on is that when I'm speaking to them a lot of the times I try to talk to them as adults yeah. and I try to get a two-way street happening in regards to the communication because you want their input because they've been around the league a long time as well like mm-hmm. I've got players um, you know like Kane Bishop that's been playing since he was 16 in that senior team so he has a wealth of knowledge that he brings to the table and sometimes that perspective helps formulate, you know, what the direction is, you know, both whether it be a leadership group or whether it be a situation that you're just talking one-on-one with the athlete. Mm. So I think that that communication is obviously one of those pillars. Obviously, there's things that you do on the court, the way in which you want to play defense, the way in which your offense runs, that you build. But... I also think, too, that you can't be married to those things either. Like, as a coach, you're always looking for that extra little bit of stuff that you can talk out of the the machine. And if you end up becoming really heavily focused on this is the way we do things, this is how it's got to be done, and this is the only way it works then you get that tunnel vision yeah you know and that group think that then seeps into how you actually uh, operate as a team can become corrosive to, to what the end goals are so I think from my point of view it's about being able to go out and explore things like you still have core elements that you're going to utilize and that you work towards but it's also being able to adapt you know and, and tactically you have to do that anyway because no group is the same. Mm. You know, there's always different parts that you get at the end of the day that work better in a certain type of situation to another situation. Sometimes you're able to maximise those particular types of scenarios that work to your strengths, but other times it's about minimising weaknesses as well. And so how do you deal with that? So as a coach, you you work around different styles of play, you work around different tactics, you know, how do you guard on ball screens or how do you guard the post or, you know, do we extend up in the full court? Each group, it comes down to your personnel largely and the mentality that you have within the group, you know, is that palatable for them to do? Do they have the will to do that? But then, you know, do they have the ability to be able to do that as well? Yeah. Do you find you get a lot of, again, being in your third year as head coach, do you get a lot of turnover in the in that player base? No, because it's local. Yeah, that's right. To be honest with you, that's the, that's the core group that we have is the same eight to ten guys. And they grew up together. They've played in this association together. They've um, been around the league for a really, really long period of time in the sense of playing as juniors. So they understand the basketball landscape. So they're together to play basketball, but they're also good mates. Mm. And they're good people. You know, they're part of our community. They work here. They want to do good things here. They're finding careers and building their own lives here. And it's a situation where 
if someone has a really, really bad night and they're upset at everyone, it's just kind of, well, all right, things didn't work tonight, but we'll see you next training session and then we'll be, we'll be good. We'll just start work again. Yeah. You know, and that's been really, really important for us. That's probably been the, the, the base that we've built a lot of what we do. And that also allows me, because I've coached a number of these guys, especially the junior ones that are, that are now forming part of that core group through under 21s and then through QBL. Sometimes I've, you know, in the last three or four years, I've coached those guys for like, you know, four to five seasons in a mm. row. Yeah. So you've got a lot of contact, a lot of time, a lot of effort that's been invested into that relationship. So that allows that communication to be more specific and it allows for you to experience those types of conflicts that you have within any team environment because it's a pressure situation. So, you know, you want something and sometimes the the end goal is a little bit too far. Sometimes it's a situation where you're fighting all the way, but gradually when you experience those successes together, whether that be achieving that goal or falling short, but understanding that you're working together, that's where you kind of develop that. And um, those guys are really focused on playing the sport and being around one another. And they understand that they're what makes Ipswich what it is, Mm. you know? And so we have a really, really good custodian uh, in Jason Ralph that is the captain of the group, but other guys, you know, there are just countless fellas that are that are based within our team that have been here for a really, really long period of time that I've mentioned earlier, you know, even like Alec Godinay, he has been an Ipswich grammar boy along with the rest of them and they've been within two or three years of each other, so it's been a situation where they know each other. Yeah. They want to be around each other. Socially, they're around each other. Yeah. And then when you've got that, it then makes it easier because people come in and you've already got like the majority of a group that operates in that particular way. So it makes the transition easier because it's all defined. Mm. They know how how things are meant to be done. They can feel that, they can see it. And it's a situation where there's a belief in the group that if we just keep working, it gets better. And so far, I think that's what's happened. Like this year, even though it wasn't a successful year, looking at where we started in pre-season, we were worlds ahead of where we were in my first season. And I see that probably carrying over into this next season. Like we've got good guys in um, Jesse G that came in throughout the season who was just fantastic for us. And again, a good guy. You know, good personalities in the group. And that's underpinned by, you know, our long-standing import in Kyle Harley. Mm. Um, When you talk about the... The fact that you've had um, a pretty consistent core playing group now for a couple of years. Would you describe your your locker room as coach-led or player-led? And what happens on the floor as well? It's probably a mixture of it. I think that um, with senior teams, it should be less coach-driven. Like, the game plan obviously is derived from what I see when I'm doing the scouting and also working with my assistant coaches and different stuff like that when we're looking at what the opposition does you know the statistical information that you compile into those video sessions or your scouting notes or whatever um, all of those things are, are coach led but a lot of the stuff 
in the game sort of atmosphere and you know your warm up and different things like that has got to be player driven because they've got to have ownership over it mm. you know and that's how you empower them to be the leaders that you want them to be you've got to give them opportunity you know so it's a situation where yes we do have a number of different roles that each individual player sort of fills so within our leadership group we probably have four to six guys at any one time yeah. and they're responsible for things like warm up to being the captain to being the vice captain and, and different roles have different responsibilities that are tied into that I think it's also about because I've been in the role now for a couple of years they know me so they're more comfortable to say what they want so sometimes that's really easy but also too there's also informal channels that you get that you develop as you go along in a team so one of those informal channels might be my team manager where someone new to the group says something to the team manager and the information comes back to me so that way you have a network of different ways sometimes it's about they say something to the coach and then it comes back to me yeah. all right or, or different things like that it's not that anyone's being deceitful or not wanting to buy into what's happening what it is is that you've just got to have a myriad of different ways the information comes back to you so you can collate it in regards to the players leading it that's part of that leadership is being able to communicate and conflict is part of that Mm. you know there's a lot of people that shy away from conflict and they see that as being a real weakness point within team environments but it's not it's it's a way of you being able to deal with the situation and then a player sees that it's not the end of the world Mm. and that they are allowed to have a difference of opinion and as a coach you look at that point of view sometimes you get something from that and then other times you go well i understand where you're coming from but this is the this is where we're heading as a group Mm. this is where it needs to be and these are the reasons why and I suppose over the last, as you get older, you realise that the most important part is the why now, not necessarily the question or the statement itself. So you need to be able to defend your position. Yeah, yeah. And when you're younger, sometimes that can feel like you're under attack. But as you get older, you get that patience and you develop that resilience and you have that understanding about how these things work that you would just accept that that's par for the course, that you are going to be challenged on what you think and you need to have a rational way of being able to explain that, mm. that people understand. Yeah. And how, how do you empower that leadership group to, um, to deal with conflict and things like that? I, I've, you know, again, just heard different, um, different things, but also, like, experienced it myself and... and you sort of alluded to it a little bit later on. Sometimes you just try something. Let's, let's see how that goes and um, and see how it goes. But getting back to what you're talking about before, I guess the, the name of the game is developing leadership in those young young men yep. and getting them to be accountable for their own actions. So what sort of empowerment do you give that leadership group but also, say, your team captain as well? Right back at the start when we started this talk, I said communication is the key. And that's really everything. So you need to have a situation where your athletes can feel that they can talk to you when they have a problem. So that starts with me as the coach and them. But then as you develop that further along, it becomes between themselves, like amongst peers, that they're able to talk and have, you know, discussions, sometimes robust that they have amongst themselves about different issues that they're facing. Um, I think dealing with younger athletes, it's about having the patience 
to know that they're going to make mistakes and then being accepting of that. You know, not just having a knee-jerk reaction to things when they do go wrong mm. or when there is an issue. And they will. They'll make mistakes because they're young. That's what they're meant to do. You know what I mean? Like, if I had the knowledge that I have now back when I was 18, it would take all the fun out of life. Like, it's just a situation where you gradually develop an awareness of yourself and the things around you through making those mistakes and seeing the consequences of your own actions. So when you're dealing with younger athletes, and when I'm saying younger, I'm talking about like 18, 19, 20, 21, it's about having that environment where it is supportive of them being able to make a mistake and then not feeling like they're it's going to be the end of the world because of it because they will do that mm. you know and for some athletes getting back to where you know what the journey is for them for some athletes you know the mistakes are wake up calls for others it's about a situation that they're just not aware of you know where they are individually and what they want to do and so sometimes they have to make that mistake a couple of times you know before they start to pick up on it so it's a situation where it all comes down to communication though that that underpins everything you once you get that established that there's an honesty and there's a trust there that you've got you know the individual's best intentions at heart it makes those things a lot easier and then they develop that amongst themselves because they see that role modeled by you with with other players so they understand about what the communication is and then when you've got that leadership group you know, like I'll say something to some, like when players are interacting at training, you know, there might be an outburst or there might be, you know, some pretty tough love that someone is disseminating on someone else. <laughs> and it's a situation where you then speak to them about them and debrief about that later on. And you say, well, did you think that, do you think that this person is motivated in that way? Or do you think that this is the best way to communicate with that individual? Because they all they're all different Mm. you know you have 15 players that are on your roster but you know they might fracture up into 15 different personalities if you're really unlikely sometimes players group together and you know similar like for like but it's a situation where um, you've got to know that about your individuals because then you know what sort of makes it a situation where you can get the most out of them I mean you have to do that anyway because that's what that's what coaching is you know about knowing what people's strengths and weaknesses are so that becomes important but they rehearse that for themselves Mm. where and they're in the training sessions and they're going through and they're communicating with one another having them empowered through that communication and that trust is really important because then they they role play that with each other Mm. you know as they're going along so it's really good and you do you see guys that come into the program and they're right at the fringes and then gradually over time they just through the work of being around other guys role modeling it it's just a fantastic thing you see it yeah and, and i think in a program like what uh, we coach in um, it's always good to have some senior players who experienced um have a great work ethic and those younger players can look up to him and i think you certainly got one in kyle harvey um, yep. what's he bring to your team kyle is probably um one of the guys that that brings that core philosophy of what we want to see as an association as well as as a team you know for for us this is like his sixth season or something like that playing for the Ipswich Force and 
he um, is just fantastic in his work ethic. Like, he is just constantly in the gym putting up shots, constantly wanting to help out around the association, constantly wanting to be seen to be the guy that, you know, puts in extra effort for everyone. So Kyle Harvey, when he comes here to our association, he actually cleans our floors. So not only does he play for us, but he also cleans our floors at the association because he loves doing it. Mm. And he obviously gets paid when he's here. But then that carries over to training sessions as well. But he'll be the guy that pulls out the mop and actually mops down the floor before the team starts training. And I think that's... I think that's from like to me. There's a whole bunch. Is that a bit of that servant leadership? <laughs> yeah. Out as well, do you think? Like it's just amazing. Like what when you see that happening, that a guy is so committed to not only himself but the other players around him, and he's very easy to coach. Firstly, he's just fantastic. Like you can tell him to go and do whatever you need him to do, and he just gives a hundred percent all the time and and he's not difficult to coach you just have to be specific with your direction and he is fantastic there's i really couldn't speak more highly of an import player in the sense of because it is a different role of being a local um coming into a team and acting professionally and being everything you want you know like he has stayed with the same homestay family for his entire time here. He has pretty much done all the holiday camps, all of the school visits. You know, I teach at a school in the local area and I've asked him to come out and speak to our kids and he's done that each year that he's come out here. Like, just no worries whatsoever. Mm. And, you know, I was fortunate last season to have his family come over as well and you can see where he gets it from. (laughs) His family is just fantastic as well. Like, they... They've done a, a great job in, um, you know, bringing together a young man that has a lot of benefit to his community when he goes back home, but also to our community when he's here. And, um, you know, I don't know whether this will be the last season that we actually see him because it's been kind of at that stepping point for the last couple of seasons. But um, I'd welcome him back anytime he wants to come back. He, he does so much for us as an association, as well as a team, mm. when he's out here, that, um, and, and that show, look, his performance is phenomenal. Yeah, that's right. As we were talking earlier uh, off mic, and, and he's in the top five in a lot of stat categories consistently year after year in the QBL. Um, and I think too, like, it's probably one of the things that if there are players that are aspiring to play in QBL as imports listening to the podcast, like there's more to it than just playing, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, much more around um, uh, getting contributing to the association and, and being being in it. I, I can't fault the guy. And I mean, when you when you're talking about finding individuals, it's it's a lottery sometimes. Mm. You know, to be honest, it's a, it's an imperfect science because when you're going to view players that are not in the same country as you, and and that's like we do have an ebb and flow of players from internationally that come into Australia at various different times yeah. for various different reasons. So when they're in Australia and you can see them and they're there in front of you or you get them to come along to a training session, that's the easy part. Like that's that's you can define what the parameters are around that. It's tangible. 
you know, like when you're looking at it internationally, though, every guy's got a highlights tape. Every guy's got, you know, half a dozen games where they've just absolutely played the roof down and all this type of stuff. So you then have to rely more heavily on things like agent networks, past player networks or players that you know that are in the U.S., coaches that you know in the U.S. and different things like that, if it's the U.S. specifically, um, that you can then ask them about and get more information. Like, I mean, for us last year, we we actually flew our second import to do a workout with Kyle. So while he was in the U.S., because they're both from the U.S., so we flew him there, he spent a weekend with Kyle, did the workout and everything like that, you know, and... Even now, during the off-season, you have different guys that are rolling through here in Australia and you just do workouts. Like, So you bring a group of guys together, you scrimmage, and you just see them on the court. Mm. But it is a challenge. Like, it, it, It's always a lucky dip. Yeah, yeah. It's different when you see guys in the league, though. You know, like when you get them here and they're playing in the QBL, which would now be NBL 1 North, um, you know what you get because you know what the standard of competition is. You know, you know what's there. But... You know, different teams also have different types of concepts that they run, different principles that they operate under. And, you know, I know from my point of view, like the difference between Kyle Harvey pre me being the head coach of Ipswich to post that sort of situation is, is a big difference because we just we run a different style of basketball. So, you know, there's also that to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the driving principles that I talk to a lot of our guys about is, you know, also their attitude with the group. Because there is different times when you bring guys in cold turkey and you don't really know a great deal about them. Their personality can also be a huge factor in regards to how they operate. And we are. We're, we're non-for-profit entities that operate from a grassroots model. So they do have to be prepared to interact with other people around the association, just not play basketball. Yeah. You know, and that's the nature of the beast. So, yeah, sure. you know, you want them to be able to talk to your under-12s or under-10s. You want them to attend a holiday camp. You want them to be able to, you know, interact with sponsors and, and do things appropriately when they're out in the larger community so that they draw negative attention to you. <laughs> you know, because, like, our sponsors, our sponsors are invaluable. Yeah, that's right. You know, and so anything that sort of can jeopardise that type of... Uh, relationship where you might have with someone else in the community is, is is really problematic. Yeah, for sure. In Australia, they're all grassroots entities, non-for-profit entities, that basically their main focus is basketball and providing competitions within their local area. So as a player, if you think that coming in and playing in NBL 1 North is all about just the time that you spend on the court, that is vastly underestimating what the actual core business is of the association. The association is all about those juniors and the seniors that play here domestically week in, week out. That's their core business. The other competitions, our senior teams, the representative things, are just bolt-ons. They're not the core business. And... Um, having an import that comes in and contributes back to that core business is exactly the purpose while you're in the league. Mm. You know what I mean? Otherwise, you know, what are you getting out of it? Because your members want to see that. Yeah. People want to see those individuals around the, the the competitions. Like, we've just finished our junior competitions and um, 
you know, like we had a, a situation where we had three or four players that are part of our senior teams come in and do the things like the handshaking for the trophies and different stuff like that for our junior comps. So, again, those junior athletes see those individuals and they might not recognise their name or different things like that, but they'll recognise them when they're on the court and they're playing against, you know, the other adults that are running around our league at different times. It's a situation where they see them and they see that there's a pathway there. Yeah. They see that those people have got interest in what they do day in, day out. Yeah. As the head coach, uh, one of the things I wanted to check in with you is like um, lots of uh, stats and tools and uh, video and, and that sort of thing. How do you, number one, make time to do the analysis, but number two, what sort of stuff do you use, you know, like uh, in terms of your scouting or preparation and that sort of thing? So it's it's interesting because um, I think you have to go where your athletes go in the sense of what they are prepared to use. So being focused on just getting like churning through this massive amount of work and producing all these statistics and everything like that is really really good in one aspect but if no one's reading it (laughs) it's it's a completely different ball game as to whether that's effective or not my philosophy now is that if i don't speak about it or speak to the information then no one's going to read it yeah and that's not that's not a disservice to anyone. That's just the way it is because at the end of the day, what is important to me often is then mirrored by the players as being important. You know what I mean? That role modelling that we spoke about earlier, it tends to be stuff that if I just give it to them without... Uh, say like you know like scouting notes like direct scouting notes on individuals or whatever if I give that to them and then expect them to go away and do it I've devalued what that resource is so I need to you know encourage them through facilitating the discussion around that as to what it is Um, that's changed though over this third year and even you know you know, from when you're doing state teams and you're putting a lot of time into like your preparation and stuff like that, that you um, build up that knowledge and you build up those types of resources. I definitely think individual goals that are relevant to each game are really important. And I actually communicate those via text message. So I just send it to the player and usually they're focused around individual things that I think they need to do over the course of the game. Um, and they are specific to each game, so it might be you know defensive assignment stuff, but it might be uh, a mixture of you know what position I see them playing, where there's advantages for them, where there are disadvantages for them, stuff like that. I definitely think obviously you've got to have the scouting notes, but like I said before, um, it's a situation where I have to be the one doing that discussion. So I think it, there needs to be a coach-led meeting, and typically I don't, I think that if you give them too much like at game time it ends up inhibiting that performance so I like to do that during the week so that leads into it and it doesn't have to be long Mm. it just needs to be something where they've got the information I typically don't print out a lot of stuff anymore I we create a Facebook group and a lot of the information is put up there last year we we experimented well this year we experimented with um, because obviously everyone in the league has access access to huddle and that is a really, really good resource 
but the problem is is that I find that athletes if it's in huddle they're less likely to use it than if it's been clipped and it's put into the Facebook group as a short video. Oh, yeah. okay. So I tend to find that um, players will watch like a two to three minute sequence of video more readily than what they will like a 10 minute block. Yeah. I suppose that makes sense. But um, what we're going to probably end up doing this year is having a situation where we release like two or three videos a week that are only like one to three minutes in length and having just, you know, key aspects of what we want to be focused on in regards to video. People will still be able to get access to the full games. Mm. So anyone that wants to do more can do more. But I think as just a base level of where we want to see ourselves moving towards, we want to have more coach facilitated discussion around things like the game plan, the scouting node. And then the video stuff that we're doing, still using Huddle because it's still a, quite a good clipping tool and different stuff like that, and it has a purpose, but probably clipping that and putting it into more of like the social media sort of yeah. access point yeah. rather than being a separate login. I still think that like Huddle still has a really, really good purpose because we do a lot of stuff with individuals, you know, like if a player is having things like fouling trouble or different things like that, we can break down Huddle and, and it can be used in that vehicle, like the personal login and look at that stuff. Yeah. But I think just in general terms of scouting, putting it on social media, firstly, most of, it, most of our athletes are natives to those type of apps and those types of programs. So they cons- they're already consuming news, general information stuff through that resource. Yeah. So having your scouting information just pop up in their timeline is just easier. Mm. You know, and it does mean a little bit more work for your coaches and assistant coaches, but I think that that's, you go where the market is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's, I'd, I'd love to say, oh, I do it, and then they follow that, but it's not. It's still something where you've got to be able to tailor the message to meet that demand. Yeah. And yeah. the demand isn't on huddle watching it, it's on watching really short bursts on social yeah. media. Yeah, I agree totally. You've got to meet the market in terms yeah. of um, their players' attention span, but also uh, yeah, just the key messages. Well, I think it. I think it's just what we are used to nowadays. Mm. You know, and gone are the days where, especially in a semi-professional environment, yeah. where people are going to sit down and watch two to three hours of footage, and do their own purposeful breakdown week in week out people might do that for a variety of reasons two or three times over a season but they're not going to do it week in week out because they work Mm. they have families they have their own jobs they have their own hobbies that they do outside of basketball there's other things that go on in their lives they don't just sit at home in the dark when they're not on a basketball court so it's a situation where you know you you have to make it accessible Mm. and I think that again you know, your assistant coaches play just an absolute critical part in that, you know, and my assistant coaches, you know, like Terry Lindenberg was really, really good on court with our guys and the great thing about Terry and I is that he's got a whole bunch of different things that he looks at completely different to me, so it constantly challenges me as an individual coach. But then, like, last year we had, like, Curtis Healy who was uh, our apprentice coach and he was really involved in the video and so it allowed us to do a variety of different things as well. But it's a work in progress. Like, because you have these resources available in this particular format with this type of competition, 
you gradually experiment each year with getting it better and better and better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mate, we could probably talk for another hour or two. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to thank you for your time today. Like, uh, it's been uh, very insightful, and um, you've got a lot of good ideas. And, and I've always enjoyed catching up with you and chewing the fat uh, in terms of what you're doing with your coaching and and um, just things that are happening around the place. So, all the best for. 2020 NBL one. Have you got any thoughts on on what that might look like in terms of a league and the impact on uh, our players or our the Queensland environment? I think that look. I think it can only be a positive where we're moving forward from the initial discussions that we've had so far. And I mean, it's only early days right now, but I think that. It'll be hopefully something that we can piggyback on the success that the NBL is having right now domestically. I know from my point of view, when I'm speaking to sponsors and when I'm speaking to other people, the the linkage in the name makes sense. Mm. You know, like people can see that there's a clear link between what's happening on the national stage, what they can see on free-to-air TV, to where we are. And then some of the things that have been spoken about in regards to the marketing side, the promotion side, just the general professionalism and where that could possibly spread to nationally, it's really exciting. Mm. Really exciting. Yeah. But thank you very much for having me. No worries. And uh, great to catch up. Like I said, all the best for the Ipswich Force and the, and the next upcoming season and good luck with all the other little projects you got on the go. Indeed. Always busy. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at OzBballCoach and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening.